Welcome, Welcome to, to Power, Power of X-Men, 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 the greatest, the greatest comic book podcast in all of the multiverse. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint. Things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. (laughs) You would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be weird. That would be weird. (laughs) But giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and, and, and very kind. This is the Power of X-Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. Guys, I can't believe the guest we have today. He is the writer for Phoenix Resurrection, Uncanny X-Men, Astonishing X-Men, among many other titles. We have Matt Rosenberg. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, Matt, you brought back my favorite character after a 14-year siesta. Was she dead for 14 or was it 16? 14, I want to say. I'm pretty sure it's 14. It feels like 14. Someone will definitely (laughs) let us know if we're wrong. (laughs) That's right, guys. DM us if if it's not 14. But it's, it's so funny because... The last time we really saw Jean was in Phoenix and Song. And then you brought her back in Phoenix Resurrection. And thank you. I It just made my day. Oh. It made my life. It made my 2018. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's definitely a high point of my career for me to have written that book. I Jean, is, Jean has been one of my favorite characters since I was a little kid. Um, very, very little. And so when I got the call about doing that, it was like one of those, like, need to sit down, need to catch my breath and get my bearings kind of things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that people seem to really dig it and it resonated with people. So it was a, a nice feeling. Well, 75% of this conversation is going to deal with Jean Grey and Phoenix Resurrection. But All right. before we get into that, because the second you said that when I got that call, I was like, I want to know everything. But I want to get to know you a little bit better and i'm curious we, we, when we were talking before we hit record you said you grew up here in new york yeah yeah uh, i grew up in manhattan um born and raised both my parents were writers so um i grew up in the like you know not very mean streets of manhattan but uh it's a different manhattan than it is now and um i grew up i actually grew up uh, like one block from a comic shop so that was very much like a, as formulative as a place can be for a person was like the, the, the first place I was allowed to go on my own because my mom could watch me go out the street and walk across the street from her window was the comic book store. So I have a, I, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who have the like comic experience and the growing up experience of like going to 7-Eleven or going wherever to get their comics. And I was like, oh no, I, I didn't, I never did that. I was just a comic book store kid, but that's a New York experience, I guess. Wait, which comic book store did you grow up by? Uh, I grew up by Big Apple Comics. It's not there anymore. It was yeah. on the 90s in Broadway. Uh, it, it did not survive the 1990s, but 
Uh, oh. It was, uh, it was a, uh, you know, a lot of stores closed, but it was a great, it was a great shop. I, my mind immediately went to Big Apple Con. Oh yeah, yeah. I believe it's the, some of the Is same it? people. So? Okay, but I don't actually know that. I've always <laughs> thought that, but I actually don't know that that's true. I, I, I mean, I don't know either way. I, I used to work at Wizard, and it oh. took me like a hot minute to realize Wizard World conventions and yeah, yeah. it's the same brand. So, or Toy Wiz as well. Yeah. I keep forgetting about Toy Wiz. I just interviewed one of the sellers there, and he's here, like, yeah, we have ties obviously to Wizard. And I was like, really? <laughs> as if I had never heard that before. Yeah. So, what was your earliest memory of VXPen? I mean, for me, you know, the X-Men is really the, it's what I learned to read on my, I have an older brother and he was reading X-Men comics and, and going and buying old, like uh, a lot of the Claremont stuff and Claremont and Byrne and that kind of stuff. Uh, he was buying those and, you know, he would say like, don't touch my comics. And then he would go out and I would sneak into his room and, and read all his books. So for me, like actually like, like a good older brother would. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, for me, like the, um, you know, the, the death of Jean Grey is like one of the first things I remember reading, like of anything on my own. And like X-Men books were the first thing I was buying with my own money. It's always, I've always been an X-Men fan. Um, you know, I was, I was, I would save up as much as I could and I would go and I'd buy as many issues of X-Men as I could and like try and piece together what was happening. And you'd be buying, which is like random issues. Cause I'd be like, well, I have three bucks left and I can get this one. And then I go home and read it. And it's the middle of, you know, the, the Outback saga. And it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, why, you know, why is Wolverine nailed to a cross and who's this girl with the fireworks and all this stuff. And then you'd have to like you know set your sights on like i need to read the issue before this and so that would be like two weeks later i could go back and get that so that's that was it for me it's like both learning to read and like collecting comics all comes from the x-men for me well it's so funny that you said that because i was talking to zeb wells a couple months ago and and, and people who tune into the podcast regularly know i repeat this so much but i think it was so true and you just echoed it which is when you grew up you know in the 80s 90s and you were going to your comic book store. It wasn't like how you have it today, where you can go on like Wikipedia and like get a list of all the issues that are coming out, all the characters. Like you go to the comic book store with your allowance. Yeah, you yeah. pray to White Phoenix that they have the issues you wanted. And most of the times you're coming in and you're getting an issue that's midway through a story. They don't have back issues or anything. And so you just go home and you're lost. And you almost become this little archaeologist throughout the years where you have yeah. to like find, you have to actually seek this information on this character. And, and, and it made it very precious back yeah, in the yeah. day. For sure. I mean, for me, like the, they used to have the Marvel handbooks that were like pages that you'd put in a binder. And that to me was like everything because they would fill in all this stuff where I'd be like, how does this person know this person and you, you know you'd be like wait why why does you know like where did beast and angel go and it's like oh they joined the defenders and they were you know it, it was always like yeah it's like a puzzle it was much more like a puzzle there was much more of a hunt and collecting element to it of been trying to put it all together which i i really appreciated as a kid but it is interesting now when i make books like trying to you know, it's a common conversation, especially uh, I used to have at Marvel a lot where that, you know, they, they say that like Stan Lee always used to say, write a comic, like write, write every comic, like it's someone's first, yeah. um, which I think is good advice, but it's also like, 
it's not really how it works now for most people. Like you have comicsology, you have trade paperbacks, you have back issue collections, you have Wikipedia. No one is, you don't have to introduce who Daredevil is every 20 pages of Daredevil. Like people will know who he is in the comic. It's very rare that someone will just be totally caught off guard by everything. So uh, it creates a, it creates a different sort of comic reading experience than I think I had as a kid. And a lot of my generation did for sure. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I remember reading certain issues and they'd be like, here comes Emma Frost, a diamond skin telepath who is, you know, now with Cyclops or, or whatever. Yeah. And that didn't switch until recently because I remember even towards the end of AVX or AVX, they, they build that as a jumping on point mm-hmm. for new readers when you would think that'd be more of a combination of, of stories. But it's, again, that mentality of that, like, yeah, any issue could be someone's first because at the time you just didn't have the trade paperbacks the way you have them now or, or comiXology, as you said. So I agree. Um, yeah. Is there a specific X-Man that resonated with you very early on? Yeah, my two, my two favorites as a kid, and I only really sort of looked this in the eye when I got to writing the X-Men, but I had two favorite X-Men and I, they've been my favorites my whole life. Uh, and it's Havoc and Magic are my two favorite characters. Um, probably my two favorite characters in all of comics. And I definitely, you know, when, I, when you start working on the books, you really like analyze things and relationships and these characters and your relationship to the characters. And I had this very intense moment where I realized that like, as a little kid, as a little brother, uh, reading and identifying with Havoc and Magic, who are both the like, you know, sort of outcast underdog, younger siblings of more successful X-Men and arguably more powerful than their older siblings. (laughs) I was like, oh man, this is so embarrassing that that's like who identified with, but I just, I love them so much. And I think they're both such like rich, interesting characters that they've just stuck with me the whole time. Like those, those are my two go-tos for sure. So I mean, astonishing X-Men with Havoc, you must've had a field day. Oh yeah. When I mean, you were was, able to, to, to write that book. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, they, they offered me astonishing and Charles soul had been writing it. And I was like, am I continuing what Charles is doing? They were like, no, he's done with his story. Like you can just go and do whatever you want, new team. And you know, the first thing I asked is, I was like, can I get Havoc? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> like, I think they were caught off guard. I think they, oh, we, they're used to a lot of people being like, can I get Wolverine? Can I get Storm? You know, like a lot of A-listers that people ask for. And I, I tend to be the opposite. I tend to ask for a lot of the not A-listers. Um, <laughs> and so they, like, they were like, yeah, for sure. And that was, that. you know, I was so happy to get to write Havoc in that. And then that carried over to uncanny and i got to write magic and in new mutants and that carried over to uncanny also so well you had i mean havoc in particular had a big moment in your uncanny run what was it like writing him hit hit dead hit him dying yeah yeah the um it was i mean it was really hard uh that was a hard book to write it was a hard book to um to do in a lot of ways, it was it was very much. I mean, I knew the assignment when I took it that I had to get rid of them, <laughs> uh, and, and I knew that you know it, it wasn't it wasn't that, but it was sort of a like you know this is a, a get the X Men to their darkest moment was sort of the idea that like 
we were the darkness before the dawn of X as it, as it's now known. Um, so it was, it was kind of a really difficult assignment just because I was like, well, I get to write a lot of my favorites and I get to wrap a lot of things. And there were a lot of storylines that I was doing in other books that were supposed to keep going. And then they moved to uncanny and they were like, you can continue them in uncanny. But so there was a lot of like loose ends in a bunch of my books, like new mutants had some loose ends to it. And astonishing has some loose ends at the end of it. Um, and so getting to wrap those up was really good, but I also knew that anyone I put in the book was, even when I was outlining who it would be, I was like, anyone who goes in this book is like in very serious danger and I have to, you know, come to terms with that. So, it was, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the job a lot of the time. I, so. I love the idea that you're, you probably got a call and they're like, Hey, and we'll get to uncanny, but like, so you're you're gonna kill everyone, and you're gonna create the 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 X Men's worst nightmare right now. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was uh, you know, I I think they knew, um, you know, Jordan and Jordan White and who's the head of the X Office and and CB um, was editor in chief of Marvel. They knew that like of the Marvel writers, like I of the current pool. I was I was definitely one of the most sort of knowledgeable and passionate about the X Men. Like I was, I'm always the one in summits who'd be like, "Actually, that's so and so's kid." <laughs> like just just be really annoying about it. And so they they knew that I you know they they sort of gave me the assignment of doing like you know it's the it's the end of this era, like look back, but also you know like figure out ways to look back on the era, but also end it. And so it was an interesting assignment just because it's, it was dark and it's sad and difficult, but it was also, um, you know, sort of an honor to do because they were like really trusting me to sort of know my history and, and, and be able to sort of end, uh, you know, end a period of X-Men. Yeah. It, it, it was a very, dark and and bleak time for the mutants and i think you captured it you and laroca captured it so well you felt that despair in every panel and i'm curious though because you are a very talented writer what what came first was it was it your love for comic books and you wanted to be a writer or your love for writing and you wanted to write comics does that make, is that does that make no, sense no it makes sense um <laughs> The, uh, uh, I think I'm weird in this. I found that among my peers, I have a very opposite answer. Um, most of the comic writers I know wanted to make comics and, you know, figured out how to write for that. And I'm very much the opposite. I loved comics my whole life. I've read comics since I was a little kid. Um, I read comics every day of my life and have almost Same. my whole life. And, uh, uh, but I never wanted to be a writer. I didn't really particularly want to make comics. It just didn't dawn on me. Both of my parents are writers. So I just knew early on, I was like, that's something I don't want to do. <laughs> like they work long hours and it's stressful and intense. And I just don't want that to be my life. And so I didn't know, I never pursued it. I never tried to do it. And I, I worked in other jobs. I worked in the music industry a lot. And um, where, where, where in the music industry? Uh, I did pretty much everything you can do in the music industry that doesn't require having musical ability. So, <laughs> you know, I, I managed bands and I, I toured with bands and I booked shows and I booked tours and I, I ran a record label for a long time. Oh man, that's awesome. My, my yeah. husband works at Live Nation Ticketmaster. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have some very uh, good friends who work at Live Nation. Oh, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> One of whom uh, I, I named a character in my X-Men run after, and he reminds me of that all the time. He's a, he's an, a good old friend. He, he oh, uh, used to book shows on Long Island, and now he runs a bunch of Live Nation venues and stuff. Oh, that's right. awesome. And probably works with my husband, actually. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I spent a long time not doing comics. And then I just hit a point in music where I was like really kind of burnt out on it. And I, I was like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to grow to hate it. And I don't want to do that. Music is so important to me. And I was like, I need to find something else that I love as much as music that I can sort of dive into. And um, the only kind of thing besides music that I, I loved as much as comics. So I was just like, I guess I'm going to try and figure out how, how you make comics and how you write comics. And so that's how I ended up here. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And it, what did... So did your parents give you any advice when you sat down and started writing comics? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. My, my dad actually, uh, my dad. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't ask, like, what kind of writers are your parents? Um, my dad was a, uh, he wrote nine novels. He wrote uh, a lot of TV, like police procedural kind of stuff. All right, good um, dad. And he's the most, prolific tv movie writer in history he's written more <laughs> tv movies than i am but uh, you know if you asked him what he did he would say a novelist um and my mom only ever wrote one thing that got made she wrote a slasher film uh Stop. What, what was the name uh it's called maniac okay um, it's a 1980 uh very terrible slasher film <laughs> um but yeah when i started uh you know i i said to them like oh i think i want to write and they were very excited. And then I said, I think I want to write comics. And they were very sad. <laughs> and <laughs> they just were not, you know, and they were very supportive. My parents have always been very supportive. And they were like, you know, we have agents, we have managers, like we can get you meetings with literary agents or TV film people. And I was like, no, I want to write comics. And um, they just were very sad. And I, I actually gave my parents a stack of comics to read and was like, read these and, you know, afterwards talk to me. And if you, you know, if you don't appreciate why I love the medium of comics, like we can go back and have a discussion, but like, you have to understand what I'm trying to make first and why I love it before we, you know, we have this conversation and they did. And, you know, they read all the books and took me out to dinner and were like, okay, what can we do to help you? And then after that, they were always just as supportive as parents can be, which is really. Oh my nice. God. That's so wonderful. So, so what was that first? What, how did you land at Marvel then? Um, yeah. So I, uh, I was doing indie stuff. I did a lot of stuff at a company called black mask. Um, we're an indie publisher and I actually put out the first book there. Um, but I did a book called We Can Never Go Home, which some Marvel editors read and, and, and offered me some work. Uh, I was three issues into it when I got a call about that. And uh, I did, yeah, I did a book at Black Mask called We Can Never Go Home and a book called Four Kids Walking No Bank, which people at Marvel really dug. And so they just kept sort of pinging me. And Black Mask is awesome. Black Mask is a place that like... Um, I worked there too. I, I worked there for a while. When I started, I was doing sort of marketing and publicity for them and, you know, helping scout talent a little bit. Um, I was just very close with the people who run it and would say like, oh, these are cool people. But uh, a lot of awesome creators got their start there. Um, Teeny Howard's first creator on Book is a Black Mask. Vida Ayala's first creator on Book is a Black Mask. Um, Mags Visaggio's first creator on Book is a Black Mask. Like it's a, it's a really long list of like really good 
you know, if you look at the new generation of comics writers and artists, like a, a really high percentage of them, like their first work is a black mask. And it's really a great nurturing pool for talent. But the, um, yeah, I, I, I did, I did this book called We Can Never Go Home and an editor named Jake Thomas emailed me and he was like, Hey, we're doing this event called Secret Wars. Um, you know, I, uh, would you want to do something in it? You can do whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, I want to do an X-Men story. And he was like, okay, um, it's going to be set in, uh, you know, New Egyptia, which is, you know, a, a weird alternate world that Conchu rules that's based from a two-issue arc of New Warriors in the 90s. And I was like, cool, it's going to be an X-Men story. <laughs> like, you're telling me about New Warriors and Moon Knight, but we're going to do an X-Men story. And, <laughs> and that was it. And that was my first thing. I did a 10-page um, X-Men story uh, about the X-Men as, as slaves in this new Egypt and, and them leading a slave revolt. So. And then how did that come to Phoenix resurrection? How did you go from there? And that would have been two years later, right? Yeah, that's about two years later. So I did, I did that um, secret wars journal and uh, I didn't hear from them for a bit, maybe a couple months. And then I got asked to do um, a quake one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. Yeah, I got called in and it was me and uh, my buddy Patrick Kinlan co-writing and Daniel Warren Johnson on art. And they called me in and were like, yeah, do you want to do something for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I'd never seen the show. Um, the show had just started and they were like, you know, or been out for a little bit. But they were like, you know, do you want to do something for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, we're doing single issues for each character. Who would you want to do? And I was like, Nick Fury. And they were like, that's taken. And I was like mockingbird and they were like that's taken and i'm just like trying to go through shield agents and they finally were like why don't we tell you who we're looking for and i was like okay and they listed a bunch of characters from the show who i didn't know who they were and then they were like in quake and i was like oh quake i love quake like i think it's a great character um and so i did that and they were pre-pleased with it and they invited me back to do a kingpin book and i did this kingpin series that they loved that Axel Alonso who was the inner chief like really loved and uh he called me into the office and he was like okay um you know I think you have a bright future here like you're really doing well like what is the thing you'd want to do most and I was like x-men and he was like okay um and he's like x-men is tough he was like x-men is a tough book to write and, oh yeah and I was like, yeah, I was like, I, th- I know. I was like, these are my people. I, I, I'm a lifelong fan. Like, I get it. I know the history. I'm not like someone who just thinks they're neat. Like, I know my history really well. And he was like, okay. He's like, I'll think on it. And then, you know, maybe two weeks later, he called me and he was like, okay, uh, here's the deal. We're bringing back Jean Grey. Do you want to do it? And, and I was like, yeah, but more than anything. And he said, like, okay, you got a week. And in a week, you're coming into the office and tell us what your plan is. <gasps> seven days to come in and pitch them on Phoenix Resurrection. Wow. So first of all, it wasn't just anyone who called you. It was Axel Alonso who yeah. called you yeah. to tell you that you were going to bring back Gene Gray. So you hang up the phone with him and you're like, I'm sorry, I said hang up. <laughs> you hung up the phone. Um what, what were your next steps? Like, especially given where Jean was at, because for years they were teasing her return, you know, may, she may or may not be hope. We saw her in the white hot room. So she has so much going on there. What was, what, what was the first step when you sat down to, to write her return? 
I went. And thank you. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the first thing I did, uh, you know, I went and read the death of Jean stuff mm-hmm. and um, Phoenix War Song and Phoenix End Song. I got yeah. both of those out and reread those like first night. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to read this all night and like think on it. And then I was just a lot of like looking up some of my favorite Jean stuff, seeing, um, you know where where it landed what i what i think and what i wanted to do and you know i was sort of uh, i was sort of struck by this idea that uh genius's character that i i loved growing up and I, I i do love and i i just felt like uh in recent times she had become synonymous with the phoenix force and the phoenix force has just overshadowed her as a character in a lot of stories and i get it it's like a god level you know power entity um but i just i just a lot of the things i love about jean i wasn't seeing in some of the books that i that that were like more phoenix centric books and so i made the very questionable decision to go in and be like you're bringing Jean back. I want to do a Phoenix story, but I want to do it that it's a breakup story. I want to do the, the Phoenix and Jean separating. And I want to leave Jean without the Phoenix. Um, oh, so that was your call. I thought that was that would have been a mandate from editorial, given exactly what you just said about like the Phoenix being this godlike entity. It creates more of a plot problem. No, no. They, they were not um entirely sold on it when i pitched it oh, um because the thing i pitched was very character driven and i said you know the the thing i really said is like look this is uh, you know to put it in sort of coarse terms it's an abusive relationship it's a codependent abusive relationship yeah? like the phoenix is in love and obsessed with her um but it can't stop killing her <laughs> and she needs it and is sort of dependent on it and doesn't realize that she doesn't actually need it. She doesn't realize that like she was uh, one of the world's greatest heroes without it before it. And she turned to it in a moment of desperation and has never been able to split from it. And I was like, this is a, it's a very toxic relationship. And she's, she's attached to this very dangerous thing that is overshadowing her and taking away her personality. And like, um, I was like, I want to do the, the breakup story. I want to do. And I remember pitching that, and I pitched it to, I think the whole senior editorial, all, all the senior editors were there. And there was a lot of very concerned looks, understandably. <laughs> and uh, I remember one of the editors was like, what is the role of the X-Men in this story? And I was like, well, they're her family. Their role is to support her and be strong yeah. for her, but this is something she's gonna have to do on her own. It's a gene story. I was like, if you wanna call the book X-Men, resurrection like that's a different conversation you ask me for the resurrection of jean gray it's going to be her story their support characters to support yeah. her um and i think you know i i think i sold them in the room on it and and axel was very excited about it and um mark Panicia, who was the x-men at the time was very excited about it and very supportive and so uh yeah it was a pretty tough tough sale but i think they got it as like if you want this character back you need to establish that she is her own character and worth bringing back because the Phoenix force comes back all the time. And this is a different thing. So it was, a uh, yeah, it was really exciting. And it was, you know, it was my first time uh, sitting 
in with all these editors in the Marvel office and one of the conference rooms. Like I'd never done that before. That must have been so nerve wracking talking about a, a very iconic character who's been dead and you have to go in and pitch it. And, yeah, and, and, and they're giving you a little bit of pushback there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's their job is to do that. And, and I knew that and they're, you know, they're great at nurturing creativity and sort of pushing yeah. you to do the best book possible. But yeah, it was really terrifying. It was really, <laughs> oh my God. Um, it was intense. Well, I'm, I, you know what? I, I love the approach to Phoenix Resurrection because I feel like Phoenix Ensign was a very gene-centric story. I think Here right. Comes Tomorrow was a very gene-centric story and, and sort of her, you know, her, her new X-Men stuff. So yeah. I, I'm curious, did they have an original vision? Because was it your call to make it a weekly event? No, that was them. <laughs> that's, I'm sure that's, that was a fun editorial schedule for you. That was, uh, what's funny, they, they did have a vision when I came in that they only told me after. And they were like, we thought this was going to be a cosmic war thing. They, they were like, we were very sure you were going to do a like X-Men take on, you know, the Shi'ar, the Kree, like, you know. And, the, and Gene just somehow comes back. And Gene, and Gene well, Gene is, the, I think what they thought is that Gene is back and everybody comes to kill her. And the X-Men oh, appear. I and I was you. like, yeah, that's not about Gene, though. Like, that's not a book about Gene. That's a yeah. book about, that's a book about the X-Men. That's a book about the Phoenix Force. Like, that's a book about a lot of things. And, um. And I was like, and you guys already sort of did that in Death of Greys. And like, that's a great, I was like, that's a great arc. That's, you know, Claremont. The trial of Jean Grey as well. It's yeah, Trial of Jean Grey for sure. And I was just like, I, I, I was like, that's, that seems done to me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I spent the whole time thinking like, I'm going to get fired on any, at any day, but I, I was really <laughs> confident in my pitch. So like, I was like, well, if I get fired, I get fired for the right reasons. Cause I was doing a book that I believed in that I felt like was important to the character. You wrote um, that, that, that book with so much heart. And now I'm understanding when you said the, that Dark Phoenix, her death was one of the first comics you read when Jean is in that bed and she's reciting the final, her final words on the moon in the background. It just, as a Jean stand, you felt that weight yeah. there, or even when she's in the, the Annie's diner and she's, she's like doing the space shuttle flight. And, and then the end where the Phoenix is like taking her through like the different stages of her life. I, I get now from, from your perspective, that quest for identity for Jean and establishing who she is and why she ends in the Marvel girl outfit, yeah, which yeah. is pre pre Phoenix. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, it's, it's now Hickman, but yeah. when you wrote it, it was pre Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It was, it was, I wanted to make sure that she, we we went through and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do one of those things where we erase things. Like, I think they were also looking to be like, can we clean things up? And I was like, the mess is part of it. Like the mess yeah. we love. Like, I don't want to clean anything. I don't want to retcon anything. I don't want to remove anything. I want to acknowledge all and then tell her you get to pick, like you get to pick where you were happiest and at your best and like give her the power once again, take control of her destiny, which she hasn't had control of in decades. And I was like, let's do that. Let's empower her to do that. And so they, you know, I think that got to them and they, they really, you know, they really backed the book really hard. And uh, I was really lucky. Well, I feel um, like everyone was reading the book when it came out. Was it January 2018? 
December, January? December 20. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, I feel like everyone was reading. It. I remember I, I used to work at Harper Collins. Actually, Charles soul was one of my writers and I would go across the street. It was in the financial district and I was like Phoenix resurrection one. And the guy's like, Oh, you and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very, it was a wonderful memory I had. So Jean was dead for 14 years. Why did, did, did you know why Marvel wanted to bring her back then all of a sudden? No, just, I never. It just was, it was about time. It was time, I guess. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, there's all sorts of like Machiavellian, like, oh, they didn't want the X-Men to be prominent here. They were trying to build up other things here and all that. And I just, you know, that all that stuff's above my pay grade and I never knew it. And like, you know, I'd hear all these rumors of like, they're doing this because of this. And I'd be like, in the office and I'd be like, that's definitely not true. They're definitely not doing that. But no, if there's a reason other than like, it's just time, I I was never told that uh, they were just like, it's time for Gene to come back. And I was like, all right, let's, all right, let's go. Let's do it, girl. Um, yeah. Did you have any unused uh, resurrection ideas that just didn't make it or just got vetoed? Yeah, there was a whole thing. Um, there are actually un- unused pages that we pulled out of the book. Um, the uh basically uh, when the book was wrapping they were like you know you're gonna do an x-men book after this like this is gonna lead into a book and like they were doing blue and gold at the time and they were like we want you to do red and i was like what is red and they were like it's gene it's gene's team and i wrote it to be not very and i was like gene is back but she's not in a position to lead a team like she's back to figure out who she is like she's not going to walk into the mansion and be like hey like you four follow me like let's go save the world like that's just i was like that doesn't feel emotionally like where i'm at or or, or anything and like gene hi there are things called cell phones now or iphones now like welcome yeah yeah exactly just to be like yeah she just wants to take a couple months to like see some movies and like <laughs> you know netflix uh, is a thing yeah like yeah just like sleep on the couch and <laughs> hang out and uh, catch up with people so like i was like i don't feel great about that um and i'd written this end that was sort of a little dark um that was her in the mansion and there's there's it's drawn um the art exists the which is very rare for Marvel. If usually if something's drawn, it's out. Like yeah. they don't pay for a lot of art that doesn't end up on the page. So uh we had this four-page sort of stinger at the end that was Jean at the mansion and the X-Men being like kind of worried about her. And she's in her room and like um she's in her room with the birdcage and like sort of uh, they're unclear like how she's doing and how like they don't trust her really is what it is that they're like kind of nervous around her because she's not happy and she's not upbeat and like Wolverine sort of steps in and is like um is it Wolverine I feel like it's Wolverine maybe it's not Wolverine no I think it is Wolverine it would have been uh, oh it's Old Man Man Logan Logan. yeah it's Old Man Logan Logan. um because I was like that doesn't make sense but it's Old Man Logan steps in and is like um you just need to let her be like you just yeah. she just needs time and that was the end and and then they were like after i wrote that they were like you're gonna do an x-men team book and i was like yeah i don't i don't want to do that um and i turned it down which they were very confused by and I, you know it's a great thing i did because uh my good buddy tom taylor did it and knocked yeah. out of the park of that book and it's a great book oh we love uh, x-men red 
X-Men Red's great. I love Tom. He's a he's a really good buddy. And um, you know, he did a much better book than I would have had I would have done if I'd been given the reins. And when I talked to Tom and heard what he was doing, I was like, oh, the end of my book doesn't fit with that. And he was like, well, let's try and make them fit. And I was like, no, no, it's not on you to try and like you have a great pitch. And like it's not on you to try and rework to the end of mine. Like, let me get out of your way on this. Like you know, I brought her back to bring her back. Like, let me just, and so we cut the last four pages of the book, um, which was a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails to sort of be like, please let me do this. Like, I, I just don't think. Um, so yeah, there's unused stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff like in the outline and pitch that didn't, um, we ended up giving more space to the X-Men than I originally intended. And I'm trying to think of this other stuff. There's probably other stuff in there that didn't end up, but that the the ending is the big thing that like more than almost any other Marvel book I've ever done. Like, yeah, there's a whole part, there's a whole bit of an issue that isn't. What? Please release that for us, crazy Gene stands. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm allowed. It's not lettered. Oh, I, I think, gotcha. I think it's colored. Oh, interesting. It is so. colored. Yeah, I, I I have it somewhere in color. Um, you're like I, I, yeah. You're like, yeah. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, it's not my relief. So. It's Marvel's. Yeah. Uh, you know, they said at one point, like, would you mind if we did a big hardcover of this of putting it out? And I was like, no, I guess that's fine. You know, I, I was like, I'd like to maybe have a letter explaining it, and they were like, yeah, yeah. But then we didn't do hardcover. So. I was gonna say, I don't, I don't think there was a Phoenix Resurrection hardcover. I have the trade, yeah, paperback. Um, yeah, but two, I don't remember there's it. Two versions of the trade paperback, but no hardcover. Mm. Um. What does the black and red costume mean? Um, Which everyone loved. I mean, you saw the cosplayers come yeah, out yeah. with that. So many. You saw that. You know, I wanted it to be uh, the black and red costume was, you know, we had the white costume, the white phoenix. And the white phoenix was sort of an ascension away from everything. Mm -hmm. The black and red was the opposite. It was they are bonded forever. Like the black and red was the marriage of Jean and the Phoenix in a way that was inseparable, that they would become one entity. And, and the idea was that if she went in that costume and was in that costume the whole time, she was gone. Like the Jean was gone forever. Like gotcha. was, was sort of the, the pitch I had on it was just like, this is her embracing the Phoenix in a way that she knows what it is now and embracing it is a darker thing. Like, you know, in the past you can always be like, well, she's embraced it, but she doesn't fully understand it. And now when the black and red costume comes in, it's like the final version where she would embrace it and it would be inseparable. And so I was like, I just want to get to that one last hurdle of like, there's a finality to where they would be going. And, and she starts to go there and just at the last second pulls back and they, they pull her out of it. So that was such a beautiful scene. I remember when Axel Alonso was like, I just read issue five of Phoenix Resurrection and I was crying. And when she comes out in that black and red costume right. and then like the Phoenix kind of goes out and she has a moment and Scott comes in and she's like, oh my God, Scott, you died. I wasn't here to protect you. I mean, you just wrote Jean the way she is, which is she's a protector. She's the heart of the X-Men. And, and she would come to Cyclops and he's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, I know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, cause Jean has that understanding, which was the same understanding we saw at the end of here comes tomorrow, where she was here, like in order for the universe to be <laughs> right, I have to push Scott 
to be with Emma. Like Jean just has that understanding, that above understanding. And I think he captured it so well. I'm sorry, pointing at you when I said that. I was like, Uh, you understand it. You understand. Yeah. I mean, she's like, I know I wrote the, I wrote the issues. She's really, you know, like at her best, she's this, she's selfless in a way that even the other X-Men aren't. She's someone who really understands and is really empathetic. And so for her to like be in the, the black and red costume and then see these things that are like mistakes that have happened and things that have been allowed to happen because of her. She's really, you know, she's really, that's where you get to her. That's where it really comes, comes together for her that she's, that's where the gene overpowers the Phoenix in it all. Well, it was such a wonderful story. You brought Jean back. I mean, on behalf of all crazy Jean stands everywhere. Thank you for that, Matthew Rosenberg. The other, the other part of the interview I wanted to talk to you about was your uncanny uh, yeah. run. You brought uncanny, uncanny back for volume five, I believe. Okay. And I've, I've spoken with like Jordan D. White, and he was telling me how like the initial pitch for Hawkspox was supposed to be just like a, a one and done like mini series, but it evolved into obviously something bigger. So when you're going into uncanny, did you know Hick- the Hickman pitch was coming or the Hickman saga was coming? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time we came in, um, so Uncanny started. It was me and Kelly Thompson and Ed Brisson. Um, Great and, team, by the way. That first issue. Oh my oh, thank god. You. Um, and you know, we're all very close. Me and Kelly and Ed are are are, are we're really good friends. Are really good friends. And um, they flew in Kelly and Ed to uh, to talk about the book, and we sort of we went through it. And at the time, they were like, "Just so you understand, like." John is coming in. Um, he has these plans. And we were like, and we knew that, but we were like, what are they? And they were like, you need to talk to him. And so we're like, okay. And so then actually we came back, I want to say like a month later. And John came in and he walked us all through it. Um, he walked us through three years, three three year plan. Wow. That was, yeah. Um and it's great. It's brilliant. And I, I love it. I loved it. And that sort of, but, that, but we were only on the book for 10 issues in theory, like we were on those 10 and then that's why it was disassembled because it was going to, that was going to be the collapse of the X-Men and then house of X and then Hawks and Fox would start. And then John's team, they wanted more time and the Marvel editorial wanted it to be darker to go more catastrophic than ox and pox and so we were maybe two issues in to our run when they were like you need to shift what you're doing and they were like you know do we want to extend this i was actually going to be taking x-force x-force was the book that i was taking after uncanny the 10 issues of uncanny and they called me and they were like hey we're taking x-force from you and i had an outline and i really loved it and i was like really bummed to lose x-force and was really sad and they were like but we're giving you something else and i was like okay and they're like we're giving you uncanny and i was like i was like oh okay they're like you start with 11 um and i was like what is it and they were like it's cyclops and wolverine that's all we know and i was like okay which isn't true they knew more than that but uh that was the call was it cyclops and wolverine that's all we know. And so I was like, okay, so I'm not doing uncanny. And then they called Ed right after me. They, I'm not doing X-Force. They called Ed right after me. And they were like, hey, 
you're taking X Force. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was funny because they, you know, like they, we were all doing musical chairs for it, but, but John's pitch like definitely informed it. And like, I talked to him a bunch about what he was doing and what I was thinking about doing. And, you know, he, he was very gracious and very great. And, and John's, um, you know, a good buddy and, and, and someone I, you know, he's one of my favorite writers in comics always has been. Um, and he was like, I don't want you to turn your story in any way to reflect me. Like, I don't need that. Like I've built a thing that could appear at any point. So you don't have to build a path for me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. And I, and I was like, but I would like to, if I'm doing this sort of end of an era stuff, I'd like to know. And so I sort of worked with him a little bit. I sort of worked off of his stuff a little bit because he was already in progress. I mean, I think he'd written the first issue of House of X before we'd written our first issue of Uncanny. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I'm trying to remember when I saw it. I think it was before. Yeah. Because um, he was, you know, I was supposed to be doing something with Pepe and then Pepe was gone. And I was like, where'd Pepe go? And they're like, oh. <laughs> Pepe, so was, where oh, are you? <laughs> Pepe, where are you? Pepe's the best. Um, oh, he's so kind. He's been so kind to our our Instagram page. He he He's always great at every Grammy and reaching out to people. Oh, yeah. He's a nice guy. Very nice the, guy. He's the sweetest. And um, Hickman, too, by the way, everyone we've spoken to has just said great things about Hickman. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. Um, Such an amazing human. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's truly he's uh, he's great. You know, he's one of those things. Like, he definitely like nightly news and his early image stuff is like <laughs> some of the stuff that got me really excited about comics in a big way when I was like thinking about trying to make comics. And so to like finally like meet him and be working with him and and stuff was really, you know, awesome that he turned out to be a really good guy. So then was. I'm also, in addition to being a big Gene Gray fan, I am also a big Nate Gray fan. Okay. And you also brought him back into the fold. I mean, he was already back, but he was MIA for a little bit. Um, was Age of X-Men then, like once you found out the Hickman's team needed a little bit more time, were you guys like, okay, then let's do Age of X-Men to buy us more time. And that way you have the Wolverine Cyclops story and then yes. Age of X-Men so, running. So what it was, was... Um, when they brought us in for the big summit for me and Kelly and Ed, um, I had this plan for what astonishing would be and what I wanted astonishing to become. I, I knew that they were, they, I was ending astonishing to do uncanny, but what I wanted it to become was I, the, the upcoming two arcs was going to be a, a Legion arc. I had a three arc plan. It was going to be a Legion arc, uh, X-Man arc, and then a Legion versus X-Man arc. Uh, and it was, um, we were calling it grandchildren of the Adam because it was, you know, oh. the, the kids of the X-Men and like sort of the idea that like the X-Men never looks in the eye. The fact that like, we're, we, we inherently assume that like the people who are like, I hate the X-Men and I'm afraid of the X-Men are wrong and because they are, they're bigots and they're monsters, but there becomes a point where it's like even the X-Men have to be like, some of these things are really dangerous. And it's really interesting to me that Legion and X-Men could be those things that like their own children are, are scaring the X-Men. What does it mean if like, this is how the powers work that it keeps becoming progressively more dangerous to the universe and stuff. And so that was my pitch and they really liked it. And so when we went into the room, we were batting things around and I said, you know, I have this 
grandchildren of the atom thing that we haven't used and everybody sort of perked up and i was like it's nate versus legion and the x-men have to sort of figure out who they back because the they're going to tear the world apart and like um they really kelly and ed really liked that and and definitely ran with it and add and made it much better and added their own spin to it um but from there we ended with a sort of you know would be the death of nate and then the x-men disappearing was always sort of the plan because that was going to be john's coming on point was them coming back and then partway through like i said they were calling us to be like we need more time we need to move things around <laughs> and so when i got the next 12 or 15 issues of uncanny and ed got my x-force kelly was the one they sort of tasked with age of x-men oh and they were like kelly do you want to run this and she started to do it and then was just like kelly's a huge x-men fan like super passionate and oh, i love her mr and mrs x yeah so and, great and i'm actually speaking to her at the end of september oh that's awesome uh she's the best she she was like yeah i want to do um she had these plans and then she's like i i don't think like the timeline was crazy and she was t launching a bunch of other stuff and she was working on captain marvel mm -hmm. and she was and she was like i have to step off this like and she was really heartbroken i think to be like i have to step away but like um yeah she just she just was like i can't do this event the way it should be done mm -hmm. and like that you know that's the credit to kelly like she is someone who doesn't want a thing going out with her name on it that she doesn't back 100%. And you can see it in her work always. And so Age of X-Men was a thing that she was not, um, you know, and this was very quick, but she was just like, I had an idea. I don't think, uh, I don't think I can do it right. I want to step away. And so then it went to Zach and Lonnie who were doing a bunch of X stuff, you know, tertiary X stuff. And they were just super eager and had a great plan and, um, so they just ran with it. And so it was, yeah. So then we were sort of working concurrently and I sort of, you know, had to sit with Zach and Lonnie and I was like, these are the X-Men I need for uncanny. <laughs> um, you guys can have everyone else. And they were like, okay. And so that was it. We, we set up the end of our uncanny of uncanny disassembled to give Zach and Lonnie everyone they needed for their universe. Yeah. Age of X-Men. I've, I, I, I was a feminist minor in college and they, the, the, the evidence, or excuse me, the inspiration of like Firestone's the dialect of sex and how do you solve oppression was so evident in Age of X fan that it was such a smart, cerebral read. But yeah. by contrast, if the X-Men were in this weird utopia, yours were like in the present and it was so incredibly bleak. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that was that was part of the design was like, it, it, they want they leaned yeah. more utopian so that i could go darker and i went darker so they could go more utopian kind of so when people are like well we want to see x-men winning stuff and doing well i was like that's what marvelous x-men is for like this is not the x-men winning this is the x-men in their darkest hour like yeah i mean but you captured that so well that is the point of the story and you're obviously setting up the dawn of x yeah. but it's i'm just curious like what was your mindset when you were writing Cyclops? I, Ed Burson brought Cyclops back in the yeah. annual. So then you, then you get him and Cyclops is in a really curious position because he had just spent the last like 
10 years trying to solve the extinction mm-hmm. uh, problem and, and, and bringing the mutants back. And now he, he dies and he comes back in a world that's completely destroyed. I mean, yeah. it's like he brought the mutants back just so they can have this low point. What was your approach to writing Cyclops? Um, you know, I, I love Cyclops. I think he is, you know, I, I know that he's a really weirdly um, divisive character for people. I, I, to me, I think Cyclops is this great, uh, you know, when my, when I was a kid, my, my dad said to me once his big complaint about superhero comics, he was like, you know, they're not stories. And I was like, of course they're stories. What does that mean? And he said, a story is the curtain goes up, you meet a character. When the curtain goes down, that character has changed. He's like, that's, that's what a story is. And he was like, how is Peter Parker from when I was a kid different from Peter Parker now that you're a kid? And he's like, what, you know, has his life changed in some way? And I'm always like, well, you know, in little ways, <laughs> like, you know, he got married, but it got undone and he got a job and he, you know, it got undone. And to me, Cyclops defies that. Cyclops was a kid. He was the good boy scout who sort of learned to not necessarily believe in the things he believed in. And then he became, you know, he ascended to Professor X's role and he became the leader and heavy is the head that wears the crown. He then sort of started to see a different, you know, he sort of started to side more with Magneto and he wasn't exactly, you know, who he thought he was. And then you have this amazing, like Shakespeare by way of science fiction idea that, his teenage self can come forward and see what he becomes and like how amazingly horrific that can be. And like to see all the compromises he's made and all the horrors he's gone through. And then, you know, when, when Ed was talking about bringing him back and we were, we were talking about it and, you know, we all plan it together and, and like uh, Ed was like, yeah, I I think I want to merge all of them. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want the X-Men who left to lose you know, we were all very, everyone involved on X was like, when we send the kids back to their time, like we don't want to lose those experiences. We don't want to lose those identities. We don't want to forget them. So there was a big thing about how to merge them. And Ed was like, I want kid Cyclops to be part of Cyclops who comes back to life. I want it to be through that and him to experience all these things. And, uh, And that to me, I was like, that's it. That's the key to writing Cyclops going forward is that like he's had this tragic arc of being the Boy Scout to the leader, to the person that he would think is a villain. And he's has the perspective to see it. And what does he do when he comes out of that? And so he's a he's a gentler leader than he was, but he's questioning. And that's exactly what he can't be doing is that he has too much doubt and he has too much he doesn't have his confidence anymore exactly. And, and he's trying to find it and he's not willing to make choices and he's, and he's making wrong choices because he's split between these two people that he's neither of them. And so that was sort of my idea was just that like, he's a leader going into an unwinnable battle and he's a leader who, who, who doesn't have the confidence he did. And he's, he's got a lot of self doubt and that was sort of where I was coming at him from. And, yeah. And, and, and it was evident. And, and you know, I, I love that you, Ed, and, and, and so many others during this time in the X office were respecting the stories that, that came before and that you solved the dilemma of the O5. I don't obviously know what happened behind the scenes, but in story, there was always like, oh, are they going to a pass? Is that a different pass? You know, and yeah. we were always worried like, oh, 
what happens with the teen X-Men, how could it not impact, you know, the, the, the adult versions and, and how are they going to solve that dilemma and the way that Ed solved it with, I'm forgetting like the nuances of it, but like their memories are sealed within them and awaken at a certain point, you know, so they can uh, stop Ahab. But I, I really felt for Cyclops in that arc, but then I loved it when he reunited with Wolverine. I mean, you wrote them being reunited for the first time in a while because Wolverine had been dead. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? It was funny that actually that when I wrote that, I got a note from Marvel that was like, hey, you know, you have a lot of, when I turned in the outline there said, you have a lot of fighting here. Um <laughs> At the end, they're like, make sure you leave three or four pages for Scott and Logan to like catch up and hash it out. Give them the time and space. They have a lot to clear and get past. And I got the note and I was like, that's a good note. And then I sat down and I was like, no, that's not who these guys are. Like, that's not how it would work. And so like you get the page and it's just, like they're, they're there. Wolverine is there for him. They fight shoulder to shoulder. Then they give each other a nod. And they're like, let's get to work. And that's it. Like, that's it was perfect. Are. Yeah, that was yeah, a I, perfect scene. They're not going to have this like, oh, hey, what's that? Like, hug each, hug it out. Or, well, maybe now in the Crocoid age they do. But um, at that point in, in continuity and history, no, they're not going to yeah, do that. They're not going to do it. They, they both know that the clock is ticking and that there's work to be done and there's yeah. life to save. And they're like, whatever's between us is between us and it doesn't matter to the bigger picture and we've got a mission and so that's that's what i wrote and i turned it in and held my because i was like i specifically had a note being like give this three or four pages and i was like i gave it two sentences um and and they were like no you nailed it it's great so i was like all right yeah you did you really did nail it um one of the other things from your run that 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 sticks out to me was uh blindfold's death and sure. I'm curious, did you know from Hickman that precogs were going to be an issue in the Crooked yeah, yeah. Age? Yeah, that was, a, that was a note. Like we were looking, I sort of had a blindfold idea um, that I wanted to use her and sort of have her telling, basically telling them that they're all dead. That like, I wanted her just telling Scott, like, it's not going to work. This mm-hmm. isn't going to work. Like nothing you do works. And him defying that. And that's sort of being a, a through line of, of what it is that like, none of this is ever going to work. Like he, we don't win. Um, and because she doesn't understand what's coming. She doesn't understand that like, she can't see that it's not necessarily, you know, the, the, the powers of 10. She can't see the Moira of it all. And that's <laughs> the Moira of it all. So like she, you know, she can see the future, but she doesn't understand it is basically was my idea. And then oh my God, that's the name of her memoir. I can see the future, but I don't understand it. Yeah. Sorry. Then, <laughs> that was then, great. And then when I talked to John, he was like, yeah, they're a big problem for us. Like, uh, I don't, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he was like, I need to get them off the board. And he was like, and I don't know how to do it. And so we, so I was like, well, I can take, a couple off the board and then we talked about it and and i think early on i was like if i'm killing all the psychics like people are going to really think that matters i was like i can kill one um i can't kill all of them so uh i i was like i'll take blindfold off the board and that'll be fine so yeah that was a a sort of compromise with what was coming okay 
Um, what about Wolfsbane? I know that death was pretty contentious among fans. Was there any particular lesson you you took from from that? Sure. Yeah. Of course. The Wolfsbane thing is really interesting because uh, there's a few things. Like there were a few things at play. Like there were a lot of X Men fans who were upset that the X Men were dying, which I get. Um, and I was like, well, that's the job. Like, uh, they're going to be back. Like, and, Don't worry. and you know, at a certain point, people were still yelling at me. And I was like, you can see solicitation covers for new books that they're on. Like, you know that they're not really dead. Like, come on. You don't get to yell at me about that. Wait, is the internet being angry <laughs> about yeah. something? So, so mm. some of the things I was like, okay, I, I, you know, I get it. I, I, I get the outrage. And I love these characters, too, and whatever. And then certain characters, you know, everybody is someone's favorite character. So it becomes very... There, there are people where you get, an, you get, you know, you hear from someone on Twitter where they're like, you shouldn't kill this person. And you're like, okay, thanks for the note. And then there's people where they're like, you know, this character means so much to me and blah, blah. And, th- and you take that differently. That has a lot of weight. Like you don't want characters that people identify with and people really look up to. You just don't want to be um, taking those from people. And obviously there's not a finality to this. It's superhero comics, but still it, it's difficult. And so like, I knew that going in that it's a difficult job and like, you know, I was not here to like slaughter everybody's favorite favorite characters from their childhood or whatever. Um, the Wolfsbane thing became its own thing in a really complicated way because of some clumsy language on my end, uh, which is interesting because I, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the weeds about it, but like, uh, the the line that people really got caught up on, people really identified, rightly so, as a as a sort of trans panic triggering line, as, as that's what it was. And it's actually a thing that was said to a friend of mine who uh, was not trans, was a, a, a cis woman who was gay, and she was in a bar, and someone bought her a drink, and then, like, tried, was hitting on her, and she, you know, she said, you know, like, thank you. And she was being very nice. And uh, they, you know, there was, they, there was a sort of confrontation when she, when she came out to the person who bought her a drink and, and he said, you know, like, it's a, this is a trap, like you're here. And like that, and I talked to my friend and was like, you know, that, that always stuck with me. Like she had this really harrowing experience. And I, I was like, I talked to her and I was like, you know, would you mind if I use that in the scene? Like, I think that's an interesting thing. So I was, uh, you know, I'm straight. And so I was in a way, I mean, not in a way, I was definitely borrowing some langu- language that wasn't necessarily mine to use for the character. But then trans fans and, and allies of the trans community and, and uh, you know, identified it as a more trans-centric line, which just hadn't dawned on me because it was the time I'd heard it was used to assist friend of mine who was assaulted by a by a piece by a real asshole so like uh, you know i tried to take something that was evocative of of an experience that wasn't mine and it and it was used in another way and then you tie it to wolfsbane who's a shapeshifter and it becomes this layers of things and it and it became this very complicated thing and i you know i said you know, people were really upset. And I said to Marvel, I said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to make a statement. And they said, you know, we don't want you to. And I was like, okay. 
and I let it go for two days. And I was like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm going to make a statement. Like I, and I, I said in my statement, like, I don't remember what I said exactly, but I was like, look, I'm, I'm really sorry for anyone who was hurt or offended by this. And, um, it's never our intention to, to hurt people. Um, and it's certainly not to punch down. Like these are, this is supposed to be an upsetting story, but it's not supposed to be a traumatic story for people. And it's not supposed to work that way. And in that way, it was a miscalculation and a mistake. And, and like, I have a lot of regret about that. Um, that line, I don't have a lot of regret about the, you know, people were like, Oh, would you take out a scene? And I was like, no, I think the scene and, and all of that is, is good. And I think the idea behind it is good. And it's actually something that Wolfsbane has faced before. And it's something that is like built into the X-Men from go is like when they are outed as, as being mutants, it's a threat to them. And that's something that's faded from the book. And like Wolfsbane among all the X-Men is the most likely to, not want to be like she's among the top x-men who view themselves as sort of cursed like her religious nature and so the idea that she would try and pretend to be human and then it would come out the wrong way and and she would be in danger and hurt by that it like cuts to the core of i think a lot of key x-men ideas and so like i, I like the scene and i like the issue that comes after the issue of it like i think it's a really good issue um with a line that is really unfortunate um but yeah, I mean, that was basically it. I'd... Isn't it incredible how these characters have taken on so many different metaphors and layers from, from the time when I started reading comics in the 90s? And, you know, the way it's evolved now, I'm just so proud of, like, the franchise and 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 what it speaks to so many people. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, it was so interesting because I was talking to someone about it, like someone who doesn't read comics, and they'd read something about it, and they were like, you killed a trans character and i was like no she's not trans she's a werewolf and they were like no and they were like no she is a trans character and i was like no she's not she's cis character you see her like you see her as a very you know like she's definitely is she's i was like she's heterosexual um she's a cis character and and someone's like i don't think that's right and i was like it is right. That's weird that you would say that to me. I've read every comic she's ever been in. I know it's true. And I was like, but that doesn't matter for what we're talking about. Like, it's not about what's on the page. It's about how people relate to the character and how they identify with. And that's what I mis misplayed and misjudged. And like, not my understanding of the character. I was like, I didn't clumsily do something with a character not knowing your history. I fully knew their history. I did something with a character not understanding what they mean to certain people and that's yeah. a big and i was and and like it was hard for my friend to understand because they were like but they're not this thing and i was like that doesn't matter like to the audience to an audience they are and that's the audience that got hurt and like that's not something you want to do like and that's part of writing you know especially fiction in in the 21st century in the twitter age is like you know how much is author intent matter and how much does you know the headcanon of the fans matter and all these things all these things matter and you have to take them in consideration and like at the end of the day like you know I, I had a lot of people be like you know um you know I, there's no way to like say this without sounding like defensive or self-congratulatory and i don't mean it to be um at all because i regret writing that that scene that way but like i had a ton of like dozens of trans fans reach out to me and say like how important the scene was to them and like you know i had a, a a young person be like i gave that issue to my dad to read to help understand and like that doesn't undo the harm it did and the, the pain i caused to other people 
but it is this thing that's very complicated to quantify because I was like, well, it really worked for some people and it really didn't work for other people. And it's very, it's just this really complex thing, but I have to err on the side of like, well, I don't want to be hurting people who read the books. Like that's never my intention. Um, I donated my salary from that to trans lifeline afterwards. And oh, that's wonderful. Um, I mean, that's whatever. <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, I, I just, I just had a lot of regret about that line and the way it unfolded. Um, but I also knew Wolf Spain was back in a month and a half. <laughs> well, but, so I've already okay. read comics of Wolf Spain's in. So for as bleak as the X-Men were during your run, though, you know where I'm going with this. That scene where the Sentinel is attacking them and the Sentinel like gets destroyed and it's Gene and Cyclops is looking up and he's like, You're back, everyone's back, you're all back. And Gene just levitates through Wolverine and Emma and gives Cyclops the biggest kiss on the what was it like writing i want to say it was their first big reunion but no you wrote that of course in in, in resurrection yeah. what was it like having that moment though because i think the internet stopped <laughs> yeah it was um i wrote three versions of it oh really well you know i'm gonna ask for the other two <laughs> um, yeah there, <laughs> Sorry. Were, there Sorry. were three versions and i was like there's the version where gene doesn't go to anyone there's the version, I think, I think I'm trying to go over to my head. There's a version where Gene, where like Scott rushes to Gene and Gene is like, no. Um, that one is the darkest because Gene reads his mind as he's rushing to her and she sees all the mistakes he's just made and all the people who are dead. And she's like, what did you do? Like you started a war, like you, you were in a war and like you all these people killed. And so he rushes to her and she stops him. Um, that one was so dark. I was like, I can't go there. And then there was one where he was like, I love you, but I'm with Emma. And that one just didn't feel right to me. I was like, no, I don't like, I don't think that's right. Emma with um, her half shaved <laughs> right there. Um, Although it's funny with, with when it switched over to LaRocca, she had a little bit more full hair there. Yeah. And I always joked is because Emma saw Jean back and she psychically made it to <laughs> look like she had more hair there. Cause it's Emma. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, let's get my head cannon. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I really like the idea that Emma, uh, you know, in the story, Emma figures out a way to save her and Scott. That's what she's doing. She's, she can't save everyone. And she's like, I can save I mean, she, she sort of does figure out a way to save everyone, but they're not going to be, they're going back into the closet. They're not going to be public yeah. mutants. And, and she does it for Scott so that she and him can go and live in peace. And he doesn't want that. Like he won't do that. And so the, the idea that he would then at the end be like, I'm with Emma, like it doesn't make sense. didn't make sense for the story we had. I had that, but I had the, I had to write the ending. I didn't have to write it early, but like, it was one where I wrote the ending really early on for the book. Like I was probably on my third issue when I was like writing the ending and just being like, this is where it'll go to these three things. Like, let's have a conversation and think about that. And what should I be steering towards? Um, and so the one, you know, they sort of, everyone sort of voted in the office on the gene one. And I was sort of like, and I could have gone a different way, but I was like, no, I think the gene is the right move. Um, we'll deal with the ramifications later. And then I was like, oh no, we won't because we'll be in House of X. We won't deal with it at all. Uh, it'll be sort of a clean slate on that. So yeah, I just wanted to give it that sort of 
moment of of light in the darkness for those two at least well it it ended on a very we get so many dms here at power of x-men like oh what should i read you know where were the x-men before hoxbox because hoxbox was a big jumping on point for so many readers i didn't even realize it until i started the the power of x-men podcast and and specifically our instagram page people just dm me like hickman 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 what came before so it's incredible um I have a question for you. You you ended it on such a, a great springboard for Hickman. Was there ever any talks of you coming into the Hickman era? Can oh, we yeah, expect yeah. to see you in the Hickman era? Uh, no. Uh, well, that's a two-part question. Um, yeah. When John started, he was like, what do you want to do? Um, he, he, you know, we, we were at a bar um hanging out and he he was like hey let's step outside and talk and he was like what what do you want to do like it's you know it's yours what do you want and i was like no 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 like this was i said what i had to say and this is your show and i was not worried about upstaging john i know that he's one of the biggest writers in comics and i knew what he was doing would be whatever but i was like i don't you should have a clean slate going in you don't need me like it, I don't get anything from you don't get anything from me being on the team and like I don't know I I just was like I was very flattered and and really appreciative um but he was like anything you want is yours and I said no no it's fine um uh there was a time we were actually about a year ago I sort of talked to him about doing something uh that I can't say what it is but we had a little bit of chat about something and, and he was like, what would you do with this? And I, I sort of bounced off him and he was, he, he was really receptive, but um, yeah, it just didn't, I not, I sort of said a lot of what I had to say with the X-Men and like, I could come back, but like coming back in a sort of, unless there was a, there were certain characters that I was like, I would really like to work with these characters that I didn't get a chance to really work with and do things that felt important to me with. Um, and without that, like, I don't want to just come in and do, you know, just a random team again, because I, I did a lot of stuff. So, yeah, and I'm, my plate is pretty full right now anyway. So, no, I don't think I'm going to be doing any X stuff anytime soon. Um, they're in very good hands. Uh, Jerry and, and Vita and, and Tini and Leah oh, and Sai and who else? A lot of other people. A lot of people are doing awesome. I can't hear <laughs> them all, but uh, I mean, I can if I think about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's doing such awesome stuff. And like, I'm just happy to be, it's nice to be able to sit there and be a fan mm-hmm. again and just be like, this isn't my job. Like, I can just read this because I like reading it. Well, well, you are missed. Wow. And thank you for your time today. I could ask you a zillion other questions about Gene and your uncanny. We didn't even touch Astonishing, but that could be a, for another day. Um, Matt, where can people at home connect with you? Um, well, I have a Facebook page I don't ever use. <laughs> Same. Uh, Same. <laughs> I forgot Facebook was a thing until today. Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, I guess a Twitter is probably the easiest place to find me. Um, it's Ashcan Press, A-S-H-C-A-N-P-R-E-S-S. And I have a, one of those little uh, Substack newsletters, but it's free. Um, but I just talk about whatever I, at some point I'm going to start doing like a kind of 
deep dive on my newsletter about stuff I've written. Like a lot of people hit me up and they're like, you know, can you talk about pitches on things? And a lot of X-Men fans are like, can you talk about your pitches on X-Men? Can you? And I'm like, yeah, like that, that sounds fun to me to like, I mean, I'm super self-conscious about it, but like to just sort of explain and like talk about, you know, stuff and unused things and ideas and unused pages and I mean that Phoenix resurrection unused pages it's my mission now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think I still have I must still have this um but yeah so I have a newsletter it's like Matthew Rosenberg.substack or something I don't I don't know it's all you can find it on my Twitter easily so Ashcan Press uh on Twitter is probably the easiest place and any any projects coming out that uh you want to plug yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a new creator-owned book coming out through Image in November called What's the Furthest Place from Here? Um, it's me and my buddy Tyler Boss. We did a book called Four Kids Walking to a Bank together. This is our new, like, it's sort of a post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story about gangs of children wandering the wastelands of America. After sold. The the world. Big yeah. sold there. It's weird. It's a real weird book, but that comes out in November, um, and I'm pretty excited about it. And... Uh, the other than that all my work is across the aisle at dc right now so i'm doing uh a bunch of stuff in that batman related stuff stuff in detective comics and i have a new book called task force z with the red hood coming out in november and me and james tynan are co-writing a book called dc versus vampires i don't know how much of this is interesting to x-men fans but if you like the x-men and batman which there is a existing venn diagram uh that's where you can find it it's safe to say that there are some some overlaps. I'm yeah. a, I'm a big Batman stan. Look what I just got in. Boom. Oh, so good. Oh, I love Sean Murphy's art so much. Sure. Yeah. Love Sean Murphy. All right, Matt. Heavy? That looks huh? heavy. Is it heavy? No, it's not too heavy. Wow. I'm just really weak. It's funny. I went to the chiropractor the other day and he's here like, I can't tell if you're just really weak or lazy. Because <laughs> he was testing my reflex. I'm like, oh. So, no, it's actually it's pretty light. But, um, Matt, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, folks, as always, I'm the Uncanny Dayspring signing off. <laughs>